Coyote Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. Air Supply is a soft rock duo formed in Australia in 1975. The band consists of Englishman Graham Russell, vocals guitar, and Australian Russell Hitchcock, vocals. They had a succession of hits worldwide, including eight top five hits on the US Billboard Hot 100. Namely, Lost in Love, All Out of Love, Every Woman in the World, The One That You Love, Here I Am, Sweet Dreams, Even the Nights Are Better, Making Love Out of Nothing at All. In Australia, they had four top ten placements with Love and Other Bruises, All Out of Love, Every Woman in the World, and the one that you love. The Australian Recording Industry Association inducted Air Supply into their Hall of Fame on the 1st of December 2013 at the annual ARIA Awards. Recently, Billboard magazine announced that Air Supply was number 36 on the Hot 100 list of all-time top duos and groups. Up next on Celebs Event, we've got Lord Graham Russell from Air Supply. Where do we find you in the world? How are you doing and what's happening? Uh, I'm actually home. I got home yesterday mm-hmm. from uh, Georgia. We had three shows in Georgia and I got home and uh, I needed to come home for a day. And oh, wow. uh, we're going to, we have a, a show in Salt, Salt Lake City. Then we go straight to Mexico for, for two shows. So yeah. it's go, 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 nonstop. <laughs> oh, all the time. All the time. Yeah. We, we never we never really stop. You know, we have to block the time out ourselves if we want time off. For those people who might be living under a rock or are not aware <laughs> of <laughs> the air supply story, let's rewind. I know it's a many decade of stories. So the hybrid version of the air, air supply story, uh, where the name comes from, how you guys met, let's dive into that world. Sure. Well, I met Russell at a, a choir, a practice for Jesus Christ Superstar the first day. And the whole cast was there. And I didn't know anyone and neither did Russell. As luck would have it, he sat next to me and the whole choir sang. And I heard his incredible voice. And afterwards, I had to introduce myself. I said, you know, my name's Graham Russell. And he said, oh, we have the same name, you know. And we became really good friends. I think because neither of us knew anybody at that point. But we became great friends and we started to sing together straight away. You know, uh, pretty much like two days later, we were starting to sing together. And we created this little little act that we would take into the clubs wherever Superstar was, like in Sydney or Melbourne. Mm-hmm. We, would, we had this little act and we would go into clubs you know, like 11 o'clock and play till one o'clock and, and sing together. And we got quite a good reputation, you know. So that's how we met. And the name Air Supply? Well, we started to get playing these clubs and we, we made a demo and we, we got signed by a record company. And we, but we didn't have a name, you know. And we, the record was coming out a week later and the producer said, you've got to come up with a name by tomorrow morning. So we agreed that whoever had the best name, we would go with it. But um, the next morning, I said, I had this dream last night. And in the dream, there was a big billboard and it was pure white. And on the perimeter were lights flashing everywhere. And uh, 
in the middle were two words in big black letters and it said air supply. And I told Russell about the dream and he said, wow, that sounds interesting. We didn't know what it meant, but we had to go with that name because we needed to go with the name. So that was it. And that it's been been around for a long time now. Yes. <laughs> okay, let's expand a little bit more on the journey. So you guys were recording, you got recorded, uh, signed to record contract, you got the name. Then mm. let's go into the next phases of the journey. We were still in Superstar and our record came out and it went straight to number one, which is really weird because nobody knew who we were. But the record sounded so good on the radio and it was irresistible. I mean, it just got so many requests the first time it was played. And a week later, it came in the charts and it ended up going to number one. So Superstar ended... And the next day, we went in to make an album as Air Supply. And we made the album in a week. Uh, Two weeks later, it was released. And the album went to number one, too. So we were kind of straight out of Superstar. And we were suddenly the biggest band of the moment in Australia. It was really weird. You know, we were like, whoa, what's happening? So after that, we, we were playing a lot of shows in a lot of pubs in Australia. And... Rod Stewart came to tour and we were asked to open for him because we were kind of very popular. And we opened for him in Adelaide, the first show. We were going to do six shows with him. And after the first show, we came back off stage and Rod was in our dressing room. And he said, I want you to open for me in North America next year. And we were like, whoa, we couldn't believe it. But it happened, you know, we toured with Rod for six months. Uh, in in the US and Canada and we came back and we thought we would be the conquering heroes we would be kind of famous because mm. nobody had ever done that from Australia yeah but it was the opposite it uh, they'd forgotten all about us we couldn't get any jobs we couldn't work so we had to start again but the the great thing about that was it really made us learn our craft and we had to get in the trenches and do it all over again. And and we were very determined. So, you know, since we couldn't we couldn't find any jo- any work as as the band, I went away on my own and for like two weeks and I wrote a lot of songs. And in those songs were Lost in Love, All Out of Love, Chances, and all those songs. And I called Russell up and I said I think I've got some songs that might be really cool. And he came to see me and it was, I was 1500 miles away. He came on a, on a coach because he didn't, we didn't have any money. And I played him all the songs. The first song I played him was lost in love. And I said, you know, this song is really simple, but I think it's, it could be cool. And I played it for him and he started to sing with me. And he he said straight away, he said, that's the song that's going to do it for us. He said, that's going to be the first one. And he was right, you know. So suddenly we had all these songs and we recorded, we made an album and Lost in Love was a big hit in Australia. He was right. Uh, But then nothing happened again after that. You know, we couldn't afford to work because we had to hire a band. We had to hire sound equipment. So we weren't working. Then I I came back to England from Australia to... uh, to try and sell some songs. And uh, I went to Cannes in the south of France, which sounds very exotic, but it, it really wasn't for me because there was a publisher's convention there. And I thought, well, I'm going to sell some songs. Uh, plus, 
a, a Greek artist called Demis Roussos. Yes. Had, had, had done a version of Lost in Love. And I thought, well, maybe my reputation would allow me to sell some songs. And his version was beautiful. And it was a big, big hit all throughout Europe. But anyway, I got to Cannes for this festival and I got food poisoning. Right. Yeah. And I, I couldn't get out of bed for three days. I wanted to die. By the time I could, I could get out of bed and stand up, the whole festival had finished. And I got up and I walked around the streets and it was like a scene from a Clint Eastwood movie, like, uh, you know, a cowboy movie. Mm-hmm. There was, there was rubbish blowing down the streets. Nobody was around. And, uh, I thought, Oh my God, you know, here we go. And I picked up a magazine, uh, a billboard magazine, because mm. they gave them free there for the festival. And I, it, there was a pile of them, and I picked it up. And on the front page, on the bottom, it said, uh, Lost in Love, Destined to Go to Number One. And I thought, oh, wow, somebody's recorded a song called Lost in Love. Yes. The same as mine. Uh, so that's going to be terrible for us, you know. Yes. And and it said, turn to page five. So I turned to page five, and there's a picture of Russell and myself, and it said, air supply are going to be the biggest thing. And so I went, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how it all began. And at that point, Lost in Love was screaming up the American charts, and, uh, of course, it went all the way. And that was the beginning of our worldwide invasion, if you like. Yes. And that was... That was 1980. Yeah. Wait, how how come you didn't know that it was up the charts or flying up the charts? How was the communication gap? Where was it? The, was yeah. yeah. Our, our, our manager at the time, who was a bit sketchy and who we parted ways with straight after that, he didn't tell us anything. He'd made a deal with Clive Davis and signed some of the rights away. Uh, to Lost in Love, oh. uh, not the song itself, but the, the record rights mm. in order to get it released. And Clive wanted to release it straight away. With, and we didn't even know. Our manager never told us. But after that, we parted ways with our then manager. And um, and we became really good friends with Clive Davis. And he took us under his wing. And after that, we had eight top five records in a row, you know. So our our future was kind of secure for the moment. <laughs> With with those, uh, you know, I love the I love the circumstance, the journeys, you know, all the elements meant to be there, except manager that wasn't supposed to be there. But that that's part of the lessons, I suppose, that we learn in interactions with people. And yeah, I think it is. And you know, there's when from when Russell and I first met, there was a feeling that it was predestined that mm. the universe or whatever's out there wanted to put us together simply yeah. because. We got, we were thrown together in Jesus Christ Superstar. So we learned all about theater and we, we became great friends. Then we created Air Supply. Then the next week we were on tour with Rod Stewart, who was the biggest act in the world. So it was almost like the universe was putting us in school to get ready to prepare us because yes. we weren't prepared. We didn't know much about anything, you know. All we had, we had Russell's great voice. And I had a lot of songs, and um, and that's all we needed. And so we we were thrown with Rod, thrown into Superstar really quickly. So within two years, we were kind of seasoned, and we kind of knew what we were doing, ready for when we were we were going to be popular in the U.S. and consequently around the world. You know, we were we were ready for it then. That period of time, like two years in 
the greater scheme of things, it's quite a short period of time, but during that gap yeah. when you're actually in it and the doors aren't opening and they keep closing and nothing's happening, how do yeah. you keep yourself motivated to like say, okay, let's just keep going and keep going and keep going? I've I've always been a very positive person. And plus, you know, I've been already at this stage, I've been writing songs for almost 20 years. I started writing songs when I was 13. Okay. And I really, I really wanted to be a song, a songwriter more than anything. And that's all I wanted to do. And I didn't want to let this chance slip by. So even when air supply wasn't working and nothing looked good for us, it was my only chance to do something. And I didn't want to let it die. And I didn't want to let it go. But we were tenacious simply because we had instant success with our first record. There was a guy at the record company that signed us when we were broke and destitute. And and I said to him, why did you sign us, you know? And he said that, he said, he said, your first record was a number one record. He said, if you've done it once, you can do it again and again and again. And he said, that's why I'm signing you. And he was right. But the thing is, you have to make a decision in life with things. If you really want something, you have to fight for it. It's not going to come to you. You've got to search. You've got to go down every path to find it. And it's waiting for you. You know, that's what we learned. And we never gave up on anything. We never stopped. We just kept working whenever we could. Uh, We worked for almost nothing just to play. And, you know, it it paid off in the end. It really did. Our our, uh, resilience paid off. So you mentioned that you're writing songs from the age of 13. So as a young Mm. person, as a child, what is the catalyst for that? What artists or what awakening for you was like, okay, that's what I want to do. Right. Well, I was, as I said, I started writing at 13, but I didn't really know how to write songs. Mm. I just, I had no choice. I was playing guitar. I would learn a few, I would learn a few songs, country songs like Old MacDonald Had a Farm. That was the first song I ever learned. And okay. it's, and it's, it's two chords. And then I would learn another chord. I learned Home on the Range, which has three chords. And then when I would pick the guitar up, I would start playing something and I didn't know what it was. But what I, what was happening was I was writing a new song of my own. So my brain was already ready to do it. And that's all I did. I just kept writing songs. But when I went to see the Beatles live, I was 14 and everything made sense. I went, oh, okay, now I get it. Yeah. Because the electricity in the, and I saw them in a cinema the vibe, the electricity in, in the room was so intense. I thought, oh, my God, I have to do that. There's nothing else for me. And that's when it began. So from that time, I started to write even more. I was writing two or three songs a week, you know, every, every week. I was just driven. And, uh, you know, a lot of the songs were kind of corny and, but I was going through that learning process. Mm. I was learning how to write songs. And I just never stopped. And my school friends would come to me and say, oh, have you, have you written a new song today? I go, oh, yeah, for sure. And the next day, they would say, have you written a new song? Oh, yeah, I have another one. Now. Do you want to hear it? And I would play it to my school friends. And they would go, how do you do that? You know. But I, I still don't know how it happens. Yeah. It just happens all the time. You know, <laughs> 
And I know you released a new song um, at the end of last year. Are you still writing new music these days or is it a little bit less and you're focusing on the older repertoire? I write musicals too. I I just finished my sixth musical. Oh, wow. Uh, and the reason for that is I love to write for a story. I don't write the story in the musicals. Mm. But people were coming to me with a story or, or a, uh, an idea that I really liked. And, I, and they said, would you write some songs for this? And I said, yeah, sure. Simply because I write all the time. And they would say, how long will it take you to come up with, you know, a few songs for this so we can show it and, and get some financing? And I said, I'll, I'll write the whole thing for you in three months. And so I did. And then I wrote another one and another one and another one. The last one I wrote was during COVID, uh, which was, you know, kind of cool. But but for me, it's like there are pe- people have professions, you know, doctors or lawyers. Yes. Or, or yourself, you know, you're you're on air, and and so I, I take it really seriously being being a songwriter. My job within the band is to keep creating the songs because everything begins with a song. Yes, and I've learned that over the years, of course. Uh, but yeah, after I wrote the last musical, we decided to to record another album, an Air Supply album, which which may be our last. You know, we didn't think we'd do another one, but we said, yeah. Let's do it. And we're in the middle of that now. We're in the middle of the recording process. Oh, cool. So, Do you know when that will be completed? I don't know. Um, the, the times when we can get in the studio to work on it are very sparse. Yes. Uh, like, for instance, our next studio, our next recording day is September, simply because we have so many shows already booked since we decided to make a record. So... September we will we're gonna September November and January we're dedicating to it so it'll be finished probably June next year which sounds like a long time but it really isn't you know but what we what we wanted to do was have it completely done and and pressed and everything by our 50th anniversary which is in 2025 but it'll be out way before then but you know, it's it's kind of nice making another album. We haven't made one for 14 years, so it's good for us, you know. So what was the inspiration to say, okay, let's do another one? I was writing all the time, of course. And yes. I, I was in the studio just doing demos of the new songs. And and Russell said, uh, have you got any new songs? I'd love to hear something new. Uh, new song. Oh, yeah, sure. So I, I I gave him 10 songs to listen to. And he said, oh, my God. He says, these are fabulous. He said, do you think we should make a, an album? We thought about it and said, uh, well, yeah, let's do it. Okay. Now, the reason we hesitated is because in today's music industry climate, making albums is not really the top of the list for everyone. You yes. know, a lot of artists make singles, really singles and, you know, but we're not that kind of band. We're an album band, and mm. we always have. It. So it, it doesn't matter to us if people go and buy it or they don't like it, whatever. I think they will. But for us, this is uh, the album for our 50th year. So it, yeah. it's kind of uh, the crown, if you like. Yeah. And, you know, we have a documentary coming, a, a book, a, bio, a biography. So all these things are happening and the album will be part of that. You mentioned about the way music is consumed. Now, I love me a CD. I love the aesthetic of holding something. I love the booklets, the artwork. For me, it's an energy exchange to say, 
thank you to you guys for all the hard work and creativity that you do. I'm not sure if you're aware that vinyls, CDs and cassettes are making a massive comeback. For example, last year, vinyls alone in the UK, there were 5.5 million sold, the biggest since 1990. But we've also got then these streaming platforms that people consume music on. What Mm. is your thoughts around each? And let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah, I think what you said was very interesting. You said it's an energy exchange when you hold something. Mm. Uh, Maybe it's uh, not unlike when someone has a baby. You can see, you say, oh, I had a baby. Here's a picture of the baby. You go, oh, great. But when you're holding that baby, it's a different energy. But it's so true that I never thought of that. It is an energy exchange. You're holding a piece of vinyl with a big cover. um, And there's something about it. It's like, the, the the album when you hold it it leaps out at you and invites you to listen but and we are doing vinyl for this one too i think all the platforms are great you know the world in which we live is such a fast world now mm-hmm. it's a disposable world unfortunately yeah. you know we, we're into something then there's something else and we throw it away and that's okay if people want to stream that's good they're they're living in a fast-paced world they want to grab a song download a song and listen to it in the car. That's, that's great. But there's something really beautiful about getting a brand new album and putting it on a turntable and listening to both sides. Yes. You know, I, re- I remember when I was very young, you know, when I first got my first Beatles albums, I couldn't wait. I was so excited. I was shaking. And you put it on and you listen to it and you keep playing it. And I would play it like the rest of the world for hours. Yeah. And you digest it and you hear these beautiful songs. That's what we want to create again. Yeah. And, and we will. We're going to create that now. You know. Awesome. As you mentioned, you on the road all the time. You've been doing it for almost 50 years. What is the calling that says, okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going on stage. What do you enjoy about it? That's a great question. I'm, I must say uh, the final thing that you really gets hold of you is stepping on stage and the and the, you see the audience and their faces light up and they all stand up with kind of a respect for what you've been doing for 50 years and it's it's such a great feeling knowing that what we've created what we've done over these last decades has really meant something to people and what uh, any artist can say this, um, but we're going to say it too. We know that our music, uh, because of its type, its genre, has brought so much joy and comfort to people. And that's a big thing for us, you know. I mean, people say that at every show. We, we do meet and greets and we meet the fans afterwards. And they say, you've no idea what this song or that song means to us. It's not, it's not just a song. It's, it's our life. And that's that's a great responsibility. So we want to keep doing that as long as we can do it at a high level uh, and, and feeling good and being physically able to deliver what we need to deliver. You know, plus we travel so much and the traveling gets a bit uh, tiresome. But at the same time, at the end of that traveling tunnel, there's a stage that we think of and we know we're going to step on it in 12 hours or in the next day. And that's the, that's the thing that drives you. And you go, okay, we're going to step on stage and, yeah. and we're going to give everybody everything we've got. And Russell and I said many years ago, 
we'll always play until people stop coming to see us. Yes. Uh, when people stop coming to see us, I hope that day never comes, but when that happens, we'll stop. But I don't know. The thing is this. We've been so fortunate to to live this life. And, you know, it's like you said earlier, it, it's a journey and it's a story. And we're in the story. We, we, we're we so privileged to do these things, do what we love to do uh, without exception. Uh, and even the difficult times are great times too. You know, sometimes if we a plane is cancelled, if we're in Hong Kong or somewhere, and it, the, it looks grim to be able to get home, you know, and you get a little down. That's that's part of the whole journey. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to tell you a, a quick story. I've never told this before, but it's it's just funny. We were actually in Hong Kong, and our band and crew were all there. And the flight got cancelled, and every hotel room uh, was booked. And it was 11 o'clock at night, and there were like 18 of us, and we had nowhere to stay. And we and we couldn't sleep at the Who wants to sleep at the airport? Mm. So our manager, he called every hotel up. You know, he didn't say we got air supply. He said, have you got any rooms? And they all said no. And one hotel said, I've only got the presidential suite, and it's got two bedrooms. And we said, okay. So uh, at this time, we were talking to other passengers that would have been on our flight, and we became friends with them at the check-in counter. Uh. And then Bernie came, and he said, I've got a room, it's a presidential suite, uh, but there's only two bedrooms. And I said, okay. And so we were going to bring everybody, 18 of us there, and there were some people we were talking to, and they said, have you got a room? And we said, yeah. And we said, come with us. We went to the presidential suite, and the hotel was really cool. They, they knew who we were when we got there. There were 25 of us in this <laughs> presidential suite with two beds, two beds, but they brought up all these carts and blankets and we were all spread out on the floor. But we had such an incredible night. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. With, with, with complete strangers and nobody would go to sleep. We were all telling stories and <laughs> it was just a wonderful thing. So that's an example of you, you can turn a disaster into, into yes. a, a memory that lasts forever. I yeah. love that. I love that story. So I love this game. I know if I had to ask you this question, two days, two weeks, two months, three minutes, I know your answer will be different every time. I recognize that and I appreciate that. I'm not necessarily saying favorite, but if you had to push play to five songs by other artists, once we've finished this conversation, what would those five songs be and by whom? That's a great question. Now, let me think about that for a second. Well, uh, first of all, uh, my first one, would be uh, a Beatles song, which my favorite Beatles song, which people will go, oh, there's some other great songs. But mm. my favorite Beatles song is If I Fell. Okay. Uh, Hard Day's Night, simply because it's so beautiful and simple and it's just John and Paul singing and it's so charismatic. That's my favorite Beatles song. Uh, number two would be All In Love Is Fair by Stevie Wonder. Okay. Which I love. I, you know, I'm a big Stevie Wonder fan. And I mean, he's just incredible. And that song is, is so gorgeous. The third song would be Telephone Line by ELO. I'm a huge ELO fan. And that's one of Jeff Lynne's greatest songs. The fourth song would probably be Tell Me by the Rolling Stones. Do you know that song? I, I don't know it offhand. I'll have to listen to it. 
Yeah, it's off the first album, and it's okay. just a, really it's a ballad from the Stones, but it's okay. really beautiful. Cool. The fifth song for me would be probably as oh I know what it is. It's uh, Peter Gabriel. Don't give up. Oh yes, with uh, that's with Kate Bush, isn't it? Correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they're my favorite songs. Awesome, lovely. I love love that list. Somewhat some for me to investigate as well. Graham, the podcast is listened to throughout the world. As a final message to the listening audience, what would you like to say? Um, well, to everyone watching, listening, thank you for for listening and watching. And I hope that if there are people that don't know who Air Supply is, and I'm sure there are. I hope you go in and find out who we are and have a look at our history. But uh, I think you'll have a great time. But for everyone else, thank you for being part of our journey with us for almost 50 years.